welcome to the adult table a podcast where we sit down with people in the SACE and their STEM community. We set the virtual table to bring in a diverse set of guests to engage in a casual conversation on their professional career and life. With this podcast, we hope that we can bridge the gap between the hierarchy involved with growing up. We can redefine what it means to be able to figuratively sit at the adult table. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jason Chin. And I'm your other co-host, Jenny Chung. So as you may or may not know, May is a special month to us as it is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, but it is also the Mental Health Awareness Month. Mental Health Awareness Month has been observed in May in the U.S. since 1949. So thanks, Google, for that. (laughs) It's been a while. And in the theme of mental health awareness, we're bringing in our two good friends from the SACE Mental Health Initiative, Megna and David. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. (laughs) Before we get started, this is a content warning that we will be discussing topics around mental health that may include topics involving depression, anxiety, suicide ideation, and self-harm. So please listen at your own discretion. So um, Meghna and David, can you both start off the episode by introducing yourselves, your background of your SACE involvement, your professional career, if you choose to share, and also why both of you decided to you know, build up the SACE Mental Health Initiative and what that means to you. So yeah. feel free, whoever, to go first. I can start. Hi, my name is Meghna, uh, pronounced May like the month, this month, Meghna, she, her, hers pronouns. So I work at CRISPR Therapeutics. We're a gene therapeutic company based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I work in immuno-oncology, so I've been involved in biology, very excited about it, like my whole life. Uh, For hobbies, I do a lot of walking. Went to school with Jenny and Jason. I think they can attest to the whole walking thing. Uh (laughs) Yeah. That's my main hobby. <laughs> I've been trying to get into baking. Fun facts about me. I do a lot of walking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got bitten by a ladybug once. People still don't believe me, but okay. ladybugs can bite you. <laughs> I think I've yeah. heard that. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that, was, that used to be my say so. Sace involvement. So this spiel, I feel like is going to sound kind of familiar to anyone who's heard Jason's Sace involvement history. Uh, <laughs> I went to Northeastern class of 2019, and I started as a general member in Sace my sophomore year. And then my first semester junior year, I was public relations chair. I was terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> so I switched to treasurer for the second semester. And then my senior year, I was co-VP with Jason. Uh, <laughs> I think he just kind of follows me around. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, who, who was in SACE first? Um, uh, we joined SACE at the same time, actually. Who was on eboard first? We joined mm-hmm. SACE at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. ah. Ah. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I took a break from SACE after graduation. I did get involved in the local Boston SACE Pro chapter, which has been really fun and pretty chill. It's been like kind of lower commitment, but it's a good way to network with professionals around the Boston area. And then I joined the regional team in 2020. Great year to join a virtual volunteering team, let me tell you, because I had nothing else to do. And I went to SACE meetings every night and talked to a lot of cool people, met a lot of great people, met David. 
uh, through the Science Week initiative, actually, and then brought him on to the Mental Health Initiative. Uh, so the reason I got involved in the Mental Health Initiative is I was actually really involved in something similar in college. So there's not a lot that are associated with colleges in the U.S., but an abysmally low number of Asian American like focused centers. Northeastern has one of them. I got really involved there and we had our Asian American Mental Wellness Initiative, AMWI, where me and a couple other people, we would host monthly group discussions about different topics about mental health. Mental health is something that's been very like important cause in my life. I feel like talk more about that later. And when I graduated from college, I felt like really sad that I wasn't able to host that space for people anymore. And I knew that SACE was trying to build up their mental health initiative. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we had this kind of discussion series, but like at a national level. So I talked a lot to Rishna. She was previously on the Northeast team because she was very involved in the mental health initiative and worked with her to get something going and had a really great team last year. David stayed on. We kept it going this year. And yeah, it's a little bit of info about our initiative. Yeah, go ahead, David. Is it my turn? Okay. Yeah. Hey. hey, guys. Uh, my name is David. I am one of the West Regional Coordinators. I overwatch the Bay Area. I'm also located here. For work, I am a go figure, a software engineer in the Bay Area. Um, <laughs> I work at a startup called Exabeam. We're a security SaaS product. Yeah, I actually just started working last week and I really like it here. Safe's involvement, my alma mater was University of California, Santa Cruz, so UCSC. I joined Safe in the end of my second year. I wasn't actually part of the board until my senior year where I went from nothing to president, which is, that's a wild ride. But thankfully, wow. my... Yeah, I had really good teammates. We're, we're still really close friends. My roommates actually was my vice president. So we're still really close. And I you know, made a lot of friends here. And since I didn't have too many years of SACE involvement, I decided to you know further that and join the team. And yeah, so that's where we are now. And let's see, hobbies. Go figure again. I play Valorant. Uh, besides that, it's I play a gamer. Of, I'm a gamer. Uh, follow me on Twitch. Oh, don't okay. Do I don't even scream anymore. <laughs> Other than that, I like to skate a little. I like music. I used to dance a lot, but not as much after the pandemic started. But I'm trying to get back into that once I'm in shape again. And let's see, why am I part of the mental health initiative? So I'll be honest, mental health has been something I've struggled with all my life. And also, to be honest, I had no idea I struggled with it until after I finished college, basically, you know, there's always been signs of, uh, you know, issues, or there's always been signs, but I just never acknowledged it as like, you know, mental health related. So after I found out about it, went through, you know, all my stuff, I decided that this was one of the most important messages I could put out there is to let people know, hey, you need to take care of yourself, you need to take care of your headspace, rest is just really important. And I also think that the Asian American culture doesn't really emphasize mental health too much. I see a lot of people always on their grind, you know, um, and then just completely ignoring the fact that maybe they're burning out and they're, they need a break. So this is something that I've always held really close to heart because I, I empathize with the situation. And yeah, so I thought okay. the Mental Health Initiative was a great place to start. SACE was a great platform for this as well. Yeah, this is how we worked up to where we are now. 
Yeah. Thank you both for sharing. Yeah. I, David, and you bring up a good point about the Asian American community and also mental health and Megna as well. There's not many spaces, I feel like, or resources shared. It's very um, stigmatized to talk about mental health and even burnout, right? Because that's a big thing for a lot of college students, especially when we were all in that grind, you know, in college. And then even after graduating, kind of just most of us have been like working nonstop. And even with the pandemic, there's no separation between work and personal since you're on the computer all the time. So yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys creating this space and, you know, bringing forth the community and providing that avenue for a lot of people to just get resources, you know, have these conversations. So with that being said, I kind of wanted to jump into maybe like what your earliest memory of just like when you started to think about your mental health is and how that journey was for you and kind of where you are now with that. So whoever wants to start. I can start. I guess there's like two major points in my life where I really had to reconsider something. The first was when I was nine years old, I went to a summer camp. It was like a gymnastic summer camp and it was like two teams. It was one of the activities that they would have us play. Upon losing, I don't I don't really care about the summer camp or winning. Like it doesn't matter to me. But the moment where we lost, I just got this, you know, my I felt like my chest dropped. I didn't breathe anymore. Uh, no, no matter how much I was breathing, I, it just felt like I wasn't getting enough oxygen. And then, you know, the racing thoughts. And this is anxiety the whole time. I had no idea, right? I think that was my first experience with it. And it became kind of a regular thing. So I kept kind of having the same experiences all the way up until college. I've already graduated college. And at this point, I did enter a an abusive relationship. And that definitely kind of spiraled me towards a really dark point in my life. And then after that, I kind of just buckled myself up and said, okay, I recognize that this is an issue. I'm going to get myself a therapist. I'm going to work through these issues. I'm going to try to learn to prevent these things. Eventually, I talked to a psychiatrist, got on medication, and then, you know, all my problems actually just went away. So uh, it is a very long process and the journey is really long, but mm -hmm. it is also a big part of self-discovery. It's a big part of uh, knowing who you are and what you want to do with your life. And yeah, I think I honestly, if anyone has thoughts like these or um, has any worries, it's always okay to talk to somebody about it. And yeah, that's my motto there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, David, I think I actually had like, in terms of like earliest memory, I feel like I had similar stuff to you where I had a lot of like anxiety and stuff as a kid, but I like had no idea like what it was. I get really anxious in like car rides and on airplanes and on boats. I remember when I was little and we used to go on like road trips, I could always feel like our car was like going too fast and I'd start crying. My dad's like, we're going the speed limit. I don't know what to do. I would just start like crying, like inconsolable. And then I found out in college that that was anxiety. Um, it's like, wow, that's something that took me so long to realize. And I had other like childhood things where whenever we had to write like assignments, I remember in second grade, we had an assignment. We read like a short book and it was about a boy who was like dealing with his grandfather's death or something like that. And anytime I had to like write the word death, I had to like put it inside a square so like couldn't escape. And I don't know how teachers like didn't notice me circling the word death repeatedly. <laughs> but <laughs> no one ever really caught on to that. Like I didn't know what it was. I was like, yeah, this is this is a normal thing people do. And then in high school, we were watching like a documentary about someone living with OCD. And I was like, I do all of those things. He was talking about how he's like spends 10 minutes a day, like plugging in his appliances to make sure that they're plugged in properly. And like, he's like in the right mind space. He's like, like trapping the bad thoughts in the electrical slots. And I was like, 
oh, this is a disorder. And it's so weird because like I would not have even realized I had OCD. And then freshman year of college, I tried to see like one of the Northeastern mental health counselors and that didn't necessarily go great. So I was a little turned off. Not that that was a particularly bad person. It's just we didn't vibe and I wasn't really a fan of the way the therapy style was. So I went to like one session and decided that it wasn't for me. And then finally, it was the day after our graduation ceremony. So like exactly three years ago. Um, But I was talking to one of my friends and she sat me down. We were sitting in like the lobby of the gym. And she was like, okay, I'm going to go walk on the treadmill. You're going to call all of these numbers on psychology today. And you're going to find a therapist for your OCD. I was like, okay. So she went upstairs for 20 minutes, called all the numbers. And um, now I have a therapist and she's great. And I've worked through a lot of stuff. I can plug electrical sockets, stuff into sockets now. And I can, I work in immuno-oncology. So being able to write down the word cancer without like having to go through a million rituals is very important. So yeah, therapy, big advocate. Nice. Yeah. I just want to say, I think that's kind of like a theme of the whole episode, but just appreciate both of you sharing this like very personal story of what you've went through growing up. And obviously it wasn't like an easy journey. So I appreciate you guys coming on and being open to sharing this in hopes that, I don't know, opening up a discussion for other people or just bringing in an awareness for other people. And I think it's kind of a good segue. David, I know you mentioned kind of like your motto is just like to always like reach out to people and was wondering if you both had felt that kind of growing up or it was more kind of on your own. It sounded like Magna for you is really helpful to kind of have that friend help you be accountable for yourself and like call. And that was like really helpful in getting your therapist now. But how was that journey kind of growing up when you were starting to recognize some of that stuff earlier on for both of you? I can start. So uh, yeah, I guess growing up, I never really had that kind of support system. You know, I had the tiger parents, you know, classic, right? Wasn't allowed to play video games or do anything. Uh, They would shut my Wi-Fi off and make me do my homework. Even if my homework's done, I still got to do something else, right? I think a lot of where my anxiety stemmed from was a lot of the comparison culture that we have. So I used to go to church as a kid and, um, you know, the Asian moms, the Chinese moms would just you know, gossip. And uh, there's a phrase called chenyol where you're kind of just flexing, right? So they're just going to flex, oh, you know, my son got into this college or, you know, I got into that, uh, got this award or whatever. I wasn't really like a stellar kid in any case right in any sense of the word i was a straight bc student i only got into santa cruz which is why i went there and you know all that i wasn't the most impressive kid uh in a sense so that led to a lot of just um hurtful words and then also a lot of self-doubt so my early history was not good but thankfully i was able to meet a lot of people that also did struggle with mental health uh, in college specifically that's where you know, people become a lot more open-minded when you meet people in college, I would say. Yeah, so you get to experience a lot more things. You get to meet more people. and People are sometimes pretty open about it. So uh, if you can relate to some of them, it helps a lot. But yeah, it's something I just never really had a support system for as a kid. Can I ask a question? Yes. How do you feel like your support system is now? Oh, it is great because um, people know me as someone who's like heavily advocating for mental health uh, engagement because you know I'm very open about my my past and my circumstances I'm not afraid to share I'm also I like listening to people 
because you know I want to help out. I think uh, that's the right thing to do. So um, right today, a lot better. Most because I surround myself a lot of people that I constantly push to say like, hey, take a break, or hey, uh, you know, you should see a therapist or talk to somebody. And what about you, Magna? How do you feel about same question back to you? Because I was gonna actually say that having you know a good support system is very key in all different aspects of your life, right? Especially mental health. I feel like having a group of people that you know you can go to, to talk about things, or even not you don't even need to necessarily have them to talk to, right? They could just be there for you. People that are even for me, if someone came up to me and said something that they needed help with, you know, and I'm their friend, obviously I will try to do whatever I can, but be you know understanding of like what is needed and not judged right um mm-hmm. so yeah what about you what what is your support system like and how did you go about like finding that yeah so I feel like my support system is constantly evolving and it's been getting better I feel like similar to David like where I am now is a pretty good spot back in high school was when I first started to realize I had issues with my mental health especially because as a kid I was very extroverted was never unhappy so i was never something that I even like thought to think about. And also I was a kid and mental health just doesn't tend to get talked about in Asian American circles. I do remember one time when I was like in middle school, my parents found out that someone they knew had died by suicide. And I remember like overhearing my dad talking about it and he was kind of judgmental about it. But this was in middle school and I didn't have any problems. So I was just kind of thinking about it. I was like, oh, but that's kind of sad. And I was like, oh, you had so much to live for. Like, what a waste kind of thing. But then when I got to high school, I started becoming, like, I entire life, very extroverted. All of a sudden became super introverted. So, like, that was an indication to me that something was wrong. And I think it stressed me out because I didn't know what was wrong either. And I felt like I was constantly having thoughts about my friends, like, hating me and, like, why is why does no one like me? Why am I so annoying? That kind of thing. And just really judging myself and being really hard on myself. And I fell into really bad sleep habits also, which definitely did not help. And growing up, I never had struggled with school until I got to like high school. And then I could never focus enough to study or do anything, which like led to worse sleep habits. And I just got very what I think at the time was depression. I don't want to like say anything. I do have a therapist now. She says I have depression, but yeah, so I just fell into this really dark hole. And I started having like pretty frequent suicidal thoughts. And there were a few times it got really bad. There's one time before my mom was supposed to have like a surgery. It was like the day before. That was like the first time I was like, ah, I could just do it. I could just do it now. And I like wanted to talk to my mom, but I was like, no, she's stressed out about her surgery. So I called my friend and I just started crying. And she just stayed on the phone with me for like a couple hours until I went to sleep, which was nice. But then, yeah, finally, like a couple years later, I got up the courage. I had talked to a couple friends about it at that point, about how I had started like having these suicidal thoughts. And a lot of them, an unfortunate number of them were also in the same boat. But it was also nice to have like people who understood where I was coming from. And I finally got up the courage to talk to my mom. And the first time I told her, she was like really understanding. And she was like, oh, yeah, like if you need help, like let me know. We just talked about it. And then a few months later, I like had come up with like a plan and stuff. And it was like really scary to think that that was something that I wanted to do to myself, but at the same time didn't want to do. And I told a friend like that night, we talked it through and then like he was really supportive of me. Um, And then like a month later, I told my mom and she was very angry with me. She like had completely forgotten somehow that we'd had this conversation a few months ago. And she was like, why do you need to see a therapist? Like if you just talk to me, we wouldn't be having this issue. I was like, oh, okay. And then 
we didn't really talk for like a week and then after that it just kind of went away but then like a year later she brought up the topic again not like in relation to me but she was just like oh you know how Robin Williams committed suicide we should talk about that so that was like we had a conversation around that and how people sometimes like need to lean on each other like it's kind of important it's like important to share your burden and that things like that and now when I talk to my mom it's like junior year of college got really stressful for me again and I started having suicidal thoughts again but then that time when I told her she was very supportive of me she was like you really need to start going to see a therapist but if you're not going to do that like talk to me and like we talk every night about it and now she knows that I'm in therapy and she'll like ask me like hey have you been seeing your therapist like have you been consistent with that and like whenever I go home we'll stay up till like after everyone else has gone to sleep and we'll just talk for like hours. So I have a lot of great friends who are really supportive, but it's been really interesting and heartening to see how my relationship with my mom's evolved over the past few years. I guess 10 years now. Oh God, we're old. Um, No, we're not. (laughs) We're not that old. But yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Meghna. I know obviously a lot of people's relationship with their parents are different, but it's, it's great to hear that you have a good relationship talking about mental health with your mom, even though it took some time to get to where it is now. I think the thing about mental health too is that a lot of Asian parents don't see mental health as an actual health thing because it should be treated like, you know, physical health, right? You obviously can't tangibly see if anything's wrong, but um, it is one of those things. So honestly, David, I'm curious about you, your experience with your parents and if you have had that conversation or if you did, you know, what was that like? Do you communicate with your parents in like Chinese or anything or? Yeah, well, yeah. I'll use um Chinglish, right? Um, okay. I, it's like 80% Chinese, but there's my grammar is not too great. So missing some words. But uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I have a really good answer. So I'm a first generation immigrant. I, I'm no longer fresh off the boat and maybe stale off the boat now but yeah so in my experience the people with similar backgrounds from what i've seen you know asian parents tend not to talk too much about mental health because one it's not something they grew up with right that was never discussed in fact like my dad comes from a very like a uh, rundown kind of just a kind of rundown area and he was struggling to survive so in those kind of situations it's hard to think about mental health when you're just trying to you know get enough food for the next day but once um we come here you know our living conditions are better we have our own apartment and also uh, my dad's educated have like a scholar job that's when the uh conversations and mental health kind of starts opening up right i still don't think my parents fully buy into the whole mental health thing when i talk to them about for example i had really really bad executive dysfunction for about a year i could have graduated from grad school in one year took two you know so it was uh, literally a whole year and you know, executive function is, you know, you want, you have a goal in mind, you want to do it, you just can't. And it could be, it's a symptom of depression, a symptom of anxiety, a lot of the, a big symptom of ADHD as well. And a lot of the mental health kind of the disorders actually do share a lot of symptoms. So it's hard to diagnose it a lot of the time. But um, I told to my parents, like, hey, I just literally can't do it. And they're just like, why not? Why don't you just get up? And I feel like if you haven't been in this exact situation where you just don't have the option to get up and do it. And, you know, it's like in the, when you're playing an RPG on a menu, but the menu, like that selection's grayed out. You just don't have the option to, right? It's hard to explain that to, you know, people who haven't experienced it themselves. And at the same mm-hmm. time, they also need to understand that, you know, their perspective of the 
their world isn't necessarily the same as mine, right? And right. I have to acknowledge that too, as well. And that's why I understand where they're coming from. I guess maybe I'm not the only one out there that also have you know, Asian parents, tiger parents, that are really hard on us without really thinking of giving us a break. I have been talking to a lot of Asian parents about mental health as well. You know, most of my parents, friends, you know, letting their mm. kids like basically getting them off the hook a little bit, but also it's for a good reason. Uh, the original question was, yeah, how how was it having you? Yeah, so how you navigated that, anything with like language barriers and stuff like that, because I personally find that it's really hard for me to talk to my parents about it, just because I don't have that language to talk about feelings or those abstract thoughts, right? My Chinese right. is very elementary. I can only say like, you know, if I ate already, if I'm working, what am I doing? Um, if I had good grades, you know, that sort of thing. So I was just curious as to what your experience in that was. Yeah, right? I, I would... I would say it was a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really want people to think about mental health more because I know mm -hmm. there's definitely people out there with the similar struggles as me. And um, it would yeah. help a lot if, you know, we have understanding parents. Right. Yeah. You brought up a good point about their worldview too, right? Like obviously they, they're, upbringing was a lot different than ours and a lot of you know some immigrant parents might just that's a totally different life that they had in a different country before they moved here right so and with evolving technologies and that sort of thing it's just not the same as it used to be they probably never even heard about like oh you're just sad right like what's the what's the issue there you just gotta grind through it you just work hard We're, you're given all this opportunity like why aren't you doing the best that you can so it's a lot of like that like internalized pressure from you know ourselves but also from our parents that we feel um that they put on us right yeah um, definitely yeah i'm also curious too david i know you mentioned like speaking to maybe some friends like parents or Magna, even like your, your mom, like, I'm curious if you know, kind of what their reaction was, or like, if I find more information, or they were kind of more hesitant for kind of reaching out to like, talk about it with like people that they knew. In my experience, hasn't really been taken too well. I don't think I've uh, turned too many heads yet. But it's a work in progress for sure. The good thing is they do listen to me and acknowledge what I have to say because I, I was the the good kid back then. So <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> adults at the adult table still still like me. So <laughs> I know we talked a lot about maybe parents having hesitancies or like maybe friends who weren't necessarily as open to having these conversations or being understanding of a lot of these topics. So I know this was touched upon a little bit in earlier questions, but what do you think are like some common misconceptions about mental health that like you've heard from other people that it was kind of like a, a wall and having an understanding? I don't know if this necessarily like answers your question. I feel like OCD gets a lot of over like people are like, oh, I need to adjust this. Oh, I'm so OCD kind of thing. There's a misconception around like what OCD is. I feel like people think it's just kind of like being neat freak and stuff like that. But it's so much of like a, I don't even know how to explain like the compulsion. It's just kind of, so there's like two different types of OCD. This is how my therapist explained it to me. There's just right OCD where you have that kind of, oh no, this is not organized the exact way it needs to be kind of OCD, or I did not do this the way I'm supposed to do it OCD. And then there's feared consequences OCD. So I'll give like an example, like I used to not be able to walk on sidewalks properly. Like if I stepped halfway into a shadow, I'd have to use my other foot to also step halfway into a shadow. Hmm? Wait, is that OCD? <laughs> <laughs> David, are you finding stuff out about your life today? <laughs> 
Oh, I did an entire exposure therapy session on this. We like went for a walk around town and she was like, okay, you're going to step on that crack and you're not going to step on a crack with your other foot. And I was like, but this is terrible. And she's like, you're going to do it. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, I can feel it on my foot. She's like, no, you just keep walking. If you feel it on your foot, just sit with that discomfort. And I was like, okay, David, can you so relate how you to feel that? About them? Um, on a smaller scale, I don't think, like, I kind of understand, like, that, ache, that terrible feeling inside where it's, like, it's just not right, right? I think I would, I experience, like, a much toned-down version mm. of it. But, um, yeah, I, I try to be empathetic to that because I also want to talk a little bit about pop psychology leading into, like, the whole stigmatization or kind of, what is the word, trivialization of OCD, Right. Because everyone's like, oh, I'm so OCD. I, I have to clean my room every day. Like that's that's not OCD. You're not like clawing your so, like insides out because of something being off. Right. That is a completely different feeling. Other parts of pop psychology are like being able to tell who likes you or, you know, the conversation tips and anything that tries to cite psychology and research to push something that isn't necessarily true. I would say, you know, watch out for those Instagram posts. Always make sure to do your actual research. Mm. Um, if it's, you know, if it's not reading the research papers other than, or talking to like a therapist or something. And also uh, there's a lot of articles on self-help. Uh, while I do think those are very helpful for certain people, don't let failing to follow it let you down, right? I feel like with regard to like the Instagram posts, I feel like I see so many posts that are kind of just like, oh, do you experience these like insert normal things that people go through? <laughs> You're definitely have ADHD or you definitely are diagnosed with this disease. <laughs> can, <laughs> this I, disorder. Can, I, can I add on to this? There's like this whole TikTok trend of people faking mental disorders and it is disgusting, honestly. What? Yeah. What is this trend? What the heck? I don't know. It's like people basically fake like ADHD or autism for clout and then post it online, even though there's like a lot of proof showing that they, they don't have this disorder, right? So yeah, and I don't like seeing mental health commoditized like that. I think it's very important to like, you know, it's a very serious topic and it can get dark too. And just taking advantage of that, in my opinion, is just like, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, like the romanticization, romanticization of, of having like an actual disorder like these are things that people kind of have to learn how to deal with and a lot of modern society is not built in a way that accommodates people who have different disorders and it's actually like kind of struggle to go through with it so seeing it romanticized like this is very frustrating yeah that makes me feel really uncomfortable like they're almost like um i don't know like making everything like trendy right yeah it's kind of like both sides of yeah they're pushing that for clout but then on the same side they probably don't have that respect for people who have actual stuff like they want about people who have actually these disorders like in their daily lives and like this is not to say that all content on psychology like mental health is bad there's plenty of really good resources out there backed up with you know science evidence actual psychologists one resource i like is healthygamer.gg uh, i'm a gamer i care about mental health this guy is like harvard trained psychiatrist and he just runs a channel on 
tries to spread the good word of you know good mental health and all that. So there are good resources out there. It's just important to be careful as with everything uh, right. as well. Yeah, going to the resources part of like mental health and sharing and that sort of thing. I know both of you shared a little bit of your journey in terms of seeking professional help and that sort of thing. But like, how did that, how did you get started in that? Because I know finding seeking professional help, finding the right person to talk to is also very difficult, especially for me personally. My company has like some resources available where I can have like eight sessions for free talking with someone. But honestly, it's always hard to find someone compatible with you, whether you want to find someone that's a person of color because you find that that would relate to you. Or for me personally, if I want to find someone that deals with queer people and, you know, the, the intersectionality of that identity as well. So what has your journey been like in that? How did you first go about finding Finding that help because I feel like sometimes there's just so much out there that is overwhelming and some people just don't know where to start because of there's too many decisions right it's like paralysis in that way so I'm kind of curious as to what your experiences was was with that and your experiences with therapy if you've been through that sort of thing yeah honestly I'd say a really good resource and this is the one that my friend had me like call the list of numbers through was psychologytoday.com. I'd also heard about this from a social worker who used to work. She was like interning at Northeastern. Great website because you can filter based on insurance. You can filter based on what disorder you're looking at or what kind of help you need. There's like so many like customizable options and location telehealth and they'll really, this is not sponsored content. Um, that's how I, I just like narrowed it down and had like a list of like 10 people that I just went through and called. Also, I called on a Sunday. Sunday night, which was really nice for me because I just had to leave voicemails instead of like talking to someone and saying like, hey, I need help with my mental health. What can I do? It was nice to just be like, hey, my name's Meghna. I wanted to set up an appointment. Call me back at this number when you can. Thank you. So I thought that was really helpful. And honestly, I lucked out because the first person who called me back is just really compatible with me. I know a lot of people I've talked to really want someone who has like the same ethnic background as them, which I totally understand. I will say my therapist is white and I feel like she like gets me so well. There's like been a couple cultural nuances I've had to like kind of explain with her. Like she asked me, she was like, oh, so do you know if anyone else in your family has depression or has anxiety? And I was like, no, we're Indian. We don't, there's like such a stigma around talking about that. <laughs> we haven't discussed it. <laughs> I feel like she's a great psychologist and that she like completely understands the disorder that I have OCD and she's always willing to give me more resources and help me through things and her therapy style just works really well with me so I feel like trying to find a style that works for you is at least in my opinion like the most important um and then let's see, on the other hand, my experience. So my ex-girlfriend, my last, was basically saying, hey, you need to fix yourself up, get a therapist, or I'm leaving. And then I found a therapist like that. And I'll say therapist I found wasn't like the perfect fit. One tip I can tell people is that if your therapist therapist isn't like a good fit for you, it's okay to look for another one. They expect it to. In my experience, I didn't care too much about like the ethnicity or culture. The ethnic background of the therapist, I cared more about the culture and, you know, if they're hip, right? I talked to my first therapist about memes and she had no idea what memes were, right? And honestly, I think they're a big part of my life. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, if they don't understand that, how are they going to understand my life, right? Eventually, I found a psychiatrist, and he was a little younger. He was hip. I saw him. He wore, wore some jewelry. And I was talking about how, like, at one point, I was like, yeah, I was really down bad last, like, month, right? And he just understood it, laughed. And I was like, I felt a lot more accepted. And 
uh, I feel like it was a lot easier to work with him. So it's okay to shop around. They're professionals. They know that you need a good fit too. And also, yeah, last thing I want to say, that first phone call will be so hard to make, trust me. But once you get that first phone call down, whether, you know, someone holds you accountable for it or you just say like, I'm getting up and you just get up once or something like that. Uh, Once you're done with that, every single subsequent one gets easier and easier. Mm -hmm. I'd agree. I just also wanted to point out, I feel like just the way mental health is like prioritized as a part of healthcare leads to a lot of therapists just being very overwhelmed. Like the journey of calling therapists can also get kind of frustrating because a lot of times people just don't have the bandwidth to take on new patients and they don't call you back. But like try not to give up because once you do find someone who's a good fit and has availability for you, like it's really worth it. Mm -hmm. And um, just a question, because David, you mentioned that you were like looking for therapists, but then you ended up finding a psychiatrist. Could you just quickly explain for those that don't know or not aware of like the difference between the two? Yeah. So a therapist usually works on behavioral parts of the mental, whatever disorder or whatever issues you're facing, right? Typically you have a lot of sessions, you see them regularly. I saw mine every once a week and they have different techniques on how they uh, approach your mental disorder. And what I went through was called CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's about mindfulness, being able to catch yourself having intrusive thoughts, and then being able to simmer it down from there. And there's a lot of really cool methods, a lot of cool neuroscience and psychology that, you know, there's a lot data to back it up to. So there's that. Psychiatrists, on the other hand, typically you see them writing the prescriptions for medication. So uh, yeah, so I am on medication and I had to talk to my psychiatrist for that. And if a therapist thinks that you should be on medication, they will refer you to a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And um, if a psychiatrist thinks that you shouldn't be on medication, you just need to talk to someone, they'll refer you to a therapist. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for that explanation. I I feel like with a lot of you know, the seeking help and that sort of thing, just making sure that people have or, you know, know who to, the type of person to reach out to is, is important. Even with seeking professional help, if you know, like if you're working as professional, just understanding your healthcare plan is super important. Uh, or if you're in school, some schools have, you know, those mental health, I think part of their healthcare as well. So just be sure to check those out for anyone that's listening. I know, like, for example, I mentioned that my company has like those free eight sessions. Definitely they're free for the year. So definitely take advantage of that. Just try it out see if you like it or not and you don't have to you know go always find someone else as well but those are there and i feel like they're not advertised as much um kind of hidden away but you just have to look look and usually there's something that's kind of like a good step in the right direction i feel like for those um, people that are just starting out yeah Megna, I did have a question for you on kind of your learning of what worked with you for your therapist and i think you had mentioned something of like matching styles and i was wondering if that is in relation to that fit of like understanding, I don't know, your demographic, right? Like David's saying, like understanding kind of like meme culture or anything. But when you were talking about style, is that something different? And is that something that, or I guess like, could you expand on that more and like what you mean by that and what you were able to recognize with that therapist? Yeah. So I'm honestly not 100% sure what other options I have out there just because Honestly, when I met my therapist, she just, everything she did was just kind of exactly what I needed, but I do a lot of exposure therapy or she does a lot of exposure therapy with me rather. So a lot of the times we're not just like sitting and talking about OCD, we're actively engaging in like things that would make me very uncomfortable and doing exercises. 
So I was talking about before how there's different types of OCD. There's like the just right OCD and the feared consequences OCD. So like to help combat the feared consequences OCD, she made me say like very uncomfortable thoughts out loud. And then usually when I like think about like death surrounding family members or anything like that, I have to like take a few seconds and like go in my mind, I guess like an antidote kind of ritual where I just like think like positive thoughts to like reverse the negative thoughts. So we would like sit and she would just make me say something uncomfortable. And then she would time me for like a minute and I wasn't allowed to do any of the rituals and stuff like that. So that's how exposure therapy, at least in my case, has been working. But I guess also there's more of like talk therapy where you just kind of talk out your issues. I don't actually have a super firm grasp of other types of, at least for OCD, other ways to like go about that. I guess when we do talk about depression and anxiety, though, that's a lot more of talking than like actually going through and trying to like face my fears, so to speak. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> I know uh, I don't have like an answer to your question, but then that answer it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think like maybe I didn't necessarily know what my <laughs> question was I've like to be honest I've never had like a therapist before so I'm like very new to this space and it's a good segue to kind of our next topic I'm glad like I've been to a few of like the mental health initiative discussions and for me that was kind of a space to just like learn about like what people are going through and like just like understand the vocabulary like you're saying like the difference between a psychiatrist versus a therapist learn about like I'm not trying to see if like maybe I do fit into one of these categories. I'm not really thinking about it too much or kind of pushing it aside. So I think like that was a really nice space for me. And then having that motivation to try to like make use of those resources. Like I know my company also has like, I don't know, like six free sessions and I keep seeing the poster in my lunchroom too. And I think the more and more I have discussions like this, it's like, yeah, this is free. This is a free resource. Like what's really holding me back from doing this. And it's kind of nice to have those reminders of these discussions or even just talking with you too. I know Megna and I talk a lot just in general. Yeah. Like I said, kind of a segue into kind of like the mental health initiative. And I know we talked a little bit in the beginning of why you were kind of a part of it, but was wondering kind of how you saw it grow throughout the two years that you were, you two were involved and what you kind of hope to see from, from the initiative, like moving forward. I can go. So yeah, like we mentioned, we do a lot of, I guess we're not necessarily monthly, but we're trying to be um, discussions about the intersection of Asian American identity and some aspect of mental health. So we've had conversations about like Asian American identity and familial relationships and Asian American identity and setting boundaries. I guess it's been really cool to see it evolve recently because so I know before we started, I think they were just like starting up having the initiative I remember there was a Facebook campaign where they wanted everyone to submit like a picture and a story. Jenny, I think I remember seeing your picture up there. Um, uh, yeah, I think I participated. It was a while back. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I'd sent it an anonymous post because I was definitely like not comfortable with the SACE community enough at that point because that was before I started volunteering. And I was just like, I don't know all these people across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like really cool to have like a national initiative, like having that kind of space. And then I think during the pandemic, it kind of died down, like at the beginning, kind of died down a little bit because everyone was preoccupied with like their own mental health and trying to stay afloat. But then being able to start up these discussions, it's been really cool because I feel like we get new members every time. 
And I feel like people who fill out the survey seem to have really enjoyed it. And like, just on the way the conversations go, sometimes we go like way over time just because people are so finally have a space to share things. So it's been really nice to be able to provide that for people, especially like we've been talking about like mental health is so stigmatized in Asian American community. And honestly, I feel like just in general, like there's so many misconceptions and people don't necessarily have a space. Like we spend so much time at work or in school and it's not like we can just look up from the middle of the workday and be like, hey, you know, I've been having a really tough time lately or hey you want to hear more about my anxiety like so it's nice to like have that kind of space and this year we've been able we got our own instagram account so we've been able to start doing like more social media posts we're currently mm-hmm. in the middle of our social media campaign for mental health month so i think it'll be really cool to see how it evolves next year maybe like having more infographics or just like but well researched infographics we make sure right. it's not just like <laughs> I think that was something we wanted to do this year, but it was difficult to figure out how to make it like meaningful because no one on our team right now is like has a background in psychology. So it's not something it's everything that we do. We want to do it deliberately. So it'll be cool to see what other creative ways we can start doing that. And yeah, I wanted to add on to that, you know, like ever since the pandemic started, mental health has become a much bigger discussion now that, you know, everyone knows what it's like to dip into the dark zone or whatever. (laughs) So, you know, at the same time, we're noticing it more, but also we're seeing a lot more diagnoses, like the diagnosis for mental health disorders has skyrocketed in like the last 10 years. And a lot of this is, you know, probably because of the internet, uh, parasocial relationships, the nine to five workday, <laughs> they're all factors that play into this. And then on top of that being shut in for a couple of years. Yeah, I think this is one of the best times to actually really try to start talking to people about this and really getting the word out. Yeah, I agree. I think during when everything was shut down, we kind of had a lot of time just like to ourselves and people are not weren't used to that and started to try to process things or be more reflective, I guess, or you kind of had to be right. Like you couldn't really talk to that many people all the time because you weren't surrounded by anyone. Personally, for me, I was like in my apartment by myself trying to preoccupy my time. But obviously you can only do you can only distract yourself so much with uh, content and stuff, I feel like. Yeah. So that process was like, you know, I feel like a lot of people were trying to figure out stuff and just actually taking the time to think about things. So I think, you know, you guys with your mental health initiative and I saw your engagements and stuff like that on Instagram. It's really cool just to get people, you know, posting about nice stuff about what they did to take care of themselves for a week or something like that, or, you know, their self-care routine and that sort of thing. I think that's a great, like, just like makes people feel a bit more comfortable with sharing like those sort of things. And then hopefully that will ease them more into like the, the serious conversations as well. Cause I feel like that's like just a good first step as a community, right? Especially with people from all different backgrounds, all different years as well, right? So like age ranges is what I meant. So yeah, we actually wanted to also like post weekly, like mental health memes or something. And that would have <laughs> been pretty funny, but it's, it's kind of hard because a lot of the good ones are really dark and i don't want to post uh, that on unsay's page right yeah um but if you want if you want them i do have a collection just uh dm just hit david <laughs> up for some dank mental health memes <laughs> my instagram has been coming up with a lot of like rodent themed mental health memes and they're oh, all so funny <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about too yeah. <laughs> it's like the screaming rat yeah right? yeah <laughs> Um, and then Jason there's like the raccoon and like trash. <laughs> Jason, do you know what we're talking about? 
No, we'll share some. We'll share some later. But I think a lot of a lot of uh, mental health memes that I've seen is is very like Gen Z humor as well. Like it's dark, but it's like meant to be that way. To because like people, I feel like people are starting to become more comfortable. Like the younger generation, just like talking about it outwardly, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But they just express it in a different way um, than what we might be used to seeing because it's very out there. Uh. I have this little cousin. She's like. 16 17 and honestly like I feel like I've been trying to talk to her a lot more recently she like lives across the country but anytime I talk to her we all start talking about mental health and it's wild how mature she is compared to how I was in high school and like the vocabulary she has to talk about mental health it's like I didn't even know like wow I'm just very impressed (laughs) yeah which is great I I think like I also like I didn't know how to express my feelings or like the words to say all those things and it's great to see that the younger people know like how to express themselves just great mm-hmm. yeah they're not repressed <laughs> yeah. our future is in good hands yeah <laughs> zoomers are hilarious like it could be chaotic but it's, it's happening yeah <laughs> Hoping that when we all or whoever decides to become parents, our generation, hoping we're having a lot more open conversations with our children about like, how are you doing? Like, yeah, like, exactly. really diving in. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just just even asking, like, how are you doing? It's like, that's like, how are you really doing? You know, don't give me the corporate good answer. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like kind of that like generational stuff, right? Generational trauma of like not trying to pass that on to like your future generations and really wanting to be kind of like that blocker and recognizing what like didn't work out and like really trying to address it. It's been interesting too that a lot of, or maybe not a lot of, but they like a few movies in the past have been kind of addressing the like point on and the more and more stuff that is kind of in the background or the theme of popular culture, like the easier it would be for people to recognize all that. Yeah, I haven't not seen everything everywhere all at once yet, um, but I heard I that it's, I'm ready to cry. I'm going to go see it like soon, I hope. Uh, <laughs> but even, yeah. um, even other, sure. okay, <laughs> even other recent movies have like addressed, you know, that sort of thing with like that generational gap. I, I think the one that comes to mind is like Aquafina's movie, The Farewell is like a big one about just like processing grief. I still um, haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, you should watch it. That's would recommend. I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, Turning Red kind of had some. Oh, yeah, Turning Red as well. Yeah. And it's great that all these are written and, you know, produced by Asian Americans. Obviously, there's still more representation that could happen with a lot of these Hollywood movies, but it's a it's a good step in that direction for a lot of Asian Americans to understand and talk about that sort of thing. Thank you all for sharing, like, you know, your experiences. It's a lot of um, a lot of heavy stuff. We do have like some rapid fire questions just to, you know, go through some things. Um, there, some of them are related to, you know, just taking care of yourself and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, we just run through them. And uh, yeah, Jason, you want to go first? What is your favorite comfort food? Hong Kong style cafe. I just, Ooh. I live right in a Taiwan. I just go in. They know my order. <laughs> I go so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dream. <laughs> uh probably chocolate chip cookies Mm. uh next question is your last big purchase that you made for yourself oh my god okay so i don't spend a lot so i don't know what you're qualifying as a big purchase oh anything that you qualify as a big purchase for yourself like okay Mm -hmm. so i really love my hair but it keeps falling out so i've been talking to a few people i also know that the shampoo i'm using right now i think they're like currently in a lawsuit for hair loss reasons (laughs) but i bit the bullet and I bought personalized shampoo 
and I just got the shipping notification. So I've heard good things like from my friends. So very excited about that. Cool. David, um, do you make any? For all the gamers out there, I just upgraded to a 3070. And oh, sure. now I run now one Valorant from 200 FPS to 450 FPS, which honestly, I have a 144 hertz monitor. It doesn't okay. make a difference. I just wasted money. 3070, you kind of get like a 3080? <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't play any like, heavy games. No, I got you. There, there is, but like, I don't think I need one. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I understood half those words. <laughs> I understood FPS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Magna, Magna, this was me during the entire Chrissy episode where they just talked about gaming. And I was like, I'm not even a gamer. I just <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Jenny, don't you have a Twitch? <laughs> I do, but I can't stream because I don't have a, a PC. So, mm. uh. <laughs> future big purchase. Yeah. Okay. Next one, what is your ideal relaxing weekend? You want the appropriate answer or the... You can just say <laughs> unwinding. Yeah. Yeah, I just unwind and... Cool. <laughs> That's fine. Or what about you, Migna? <laughs> um, walking. Walking? Yeah. <laughs> walking is uh, great. I like... Going for walks. I like one-on-one hangouts with my friends. So mm-hmm. going on a walk with one other person, coercing people into walks, that's relaxing for me. Okay. <laughs> Following people on their walks. Hey, <laughs> hey, you're my friend now. It worked. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. And then I guess we could do like one more. What about like a happy memory that you had from this this year or last year, I guess. It could be any instance. Happy is subjective. So however you interpret that is. There's a light show at like the local zoo. Um, They had like a Mm -hmm. lot of really cool like light exhibits. Um, Mm -hmm. And my friend and I went and it was like, just like a nice, it was a walk um, through. Nice. (laughs) Noticing a theme here. There were all the like light exhibits. It was a light exhibition. I don't remember what it was called, Mm. but they had like all these like inflatable lights and like they had like these butterflies that were like big stuff. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. David, what about you? Me? When am I ever happy? Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Let's see. I like to hang out with my friends a lot. And so my best friend lives in Hawaii and she only comes back like once, twice a year at most. I got to visit her just randomly this year because. Uh, she was had a she had a layover in San Francisco to go to Singapore, and I was able to hang out with her for like a whole night, and you know, very happy to see her. Nice. I think that'll be the end to our rapid fire, and then to just kind of wrap up the episode in the theme of the adult table that we like to ask all of our guests is, what is one thing that you did recently that made you feel like quote unquote adult? Oh, I already talked about the shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> You could just reuse the same answer. It's okay. Oh, no. I've been on like a big work project that's been really exciting. And I feel like I've been getting a lot of responsibility in the past like couple months. And it really just feels like a step up from where I was before. So I feel like that's been making me. I don't like that my what makes me feel like an adult is around work. But (laughs) (laughs) that's okay. Honestly, like that's been I feel like that's been like a really big thing for me. And I'm like really excited about it. That's awesome. I paid my taxes. And on top of that, I 
put money into an IRA. <laughs> nice. I, I don't nice. really like. I, I understand it, but I, do I really understand it? Like, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah, so, yeah. The Roth, you know, right? The Roth. Yeah. Uh, I have to do traditional this year. One at four hundred one. Okay. I don't even have a 401k anymore. That's what I get oh. for joining a startup. Oh, that's, well, you have <laughs> other benefits. That's stock, right? That's stocks. I'm waiting <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. stock. Yeah. Once invest, yeah. <laughs> we keep talking um, about this. Like we we really want to have like a finance episode. We need to do a finance episode. So Ooh. many people, including myself, are very I'm not dumb. Like, yeah. I'm very yeah, I'm like illiterate. Basically at a baby's <laughs> level of financial literacy. So yeah cool we should, we should dance for dummies yeah like yeah books. i learned i learned half of what i know from uh wall street bets so no <laughs> don't put me on that <laughs> i mean maybe, what if we just get like different perspectives right we get like people that are like meme you <laughs> get like the serious finance you just put meme them together finance. in a room <laughs> yeah okay great well uh, thank you, both of you, Megna and David, for joining us at the adult table. We're glad that you could come on and, you know, share a lot of personal aspects of your journey and in terms of mental health and also as leaders in the space, uh, SACE community. So it's great to have you both on. Do you both have any, I know there's an Instagram, uh, if you want to plug that for the SACE mental health initiative, but also if you want to plug any other socials for yourselves, if people want to reach out, you can feel free to do so. Yeah, our Instagram is at Sace Mental Health. Pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to connect, talk more about mental health. If you want to talk to me more about biology, I'm only a couple of years in, but if you're like younger and just want to talk, hit me up on LinkedIn. My okay. name's in the podcast. I don't yeah, have yeah. a very common name. We'll send the link. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn too. Follow me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash David3DE. That's okay. number three, the letter D-E. Okay. Uh, I haven't streamed in months, but I don't know. Who knows? Now we're going to expect it. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the listeners are going to be everyone waiting. <laughs> David's just going to drop a surprise stream one day. Like, yeah. yeah, y'all better be following. All right. <laughs> the can't miss out on that. <laughs> and just reiterating to Jenny, just really appreciate you both kind of sharing everything and from my perspective too, it's been really cool kind of seeing the mental health initiative. And I think I mentioned this to Megna too, but like a lot of the volunteers who were joining for this year and like last year were like super excited and about the mental health initiative and thought it was really cool and wanted to help out. So it seems like you guys are really doing a good job on that. Yeah. Just thank you for that as well. And um, there's obviously so much more that we could have talked on. This is only like the tip of the iceberg um, in, that we could fit into a podcast episode. Obviously, we could have more episodes and there's a lot of more discussions that you guys are planning as well. So, you know, feel free to check those out as well because um, those get more in depth into certain topics. So, yeah. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast as well. So, you know, when episodes come out, you can follow us on Instagram at the adult table podcast for updates. And we'll be posting some more informational content. I think we have some resources and links and stuff as well that we'll be sharing about mental health and some things that we discussed here today. So just be on the lookout for that. Yeah, that should be on our Instagram. And any links and stuff that we kind of talked about in this episode, we'll make sure that it's accessible. And to close out, I'm Jason Chin. And I'm Jenny Chung. And we'll see you next time at the adult table. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.